The title of my message this morning is The Priesthood of Peter. Now, some of you may be wondering, what in the world is the priesthood of Peter, and what does that have to do with an Adventist church? Well, I might get to that in a minute, but first of all, I want to tell you a story. The land was a land of wickedness, a land of strangers, many of whom knew not God. Many of them who did know God chose to reject him and to follow a sure path to destruction. In this strange land lived one man, a stranger among strangers, called away from his native country to live in a land filled with wickedness and idolatry. He dwelt not in the cities of the land, but as a sojourner in a tent. For the wickedness that filled the land and filled those cities, he could not countenance. And he would not have his family poisoned by that evil atmosphere. The man was motivated by nothing more than a promise. A promise made to him by the God of the universe that one day, one day, God would make of him and his descendants a great nation. And though this man had no son in his old age, yet he believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. This man, Abraham, knew something of the great character of the love of God. And he manifests this love to his fellow countrymen, wicked though they were. Now Abraham had a younger nephew, Lot, who, though Lot was dear to his heart, and though Lot was a righteous man, was somewhat lacking in the character and judgment of his older nephew. Lot the scripture records, pitched his tent towards Sodom, that great and wicked city. And ere long he found himself and his family not living close to Sodom, but actually living in it. Yes, we know the story of how one, one time Abraham went to the rescue of the inhabitants of Sodom when the entire city was captured. But then many years later, I imagine it was a hot and sultry afternoon. Two travelers appeared at Abraham's tent. Now in that dry and dusty country, where camps could be far, far between, it was customary to entertain travelers, strangers, and Abraham as a righteous man saw it as his duty to entertain any stranger that came by. These strangers appeared as no others, and Abraham, as his custom was, extended to them his utmost hospitality, little knowing that disguised in these strangers was the very Lord of glory, the one who had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, the one who had made the promise to him that out of you and your seed I will make a great nation. He only saw two dusty, weary travelers, until as he began to speak with them. And they began to give him this promise again, that your wife Sarah will have a son. Abraham realized who these travelers were. 
And then, before the travelers go, as they're, as they're parting away, it seems as, as though they turn to each other and say, we have one more thing we should tell Abraham about. We find this story in Genesis 18. You can pick it up with me if you want. Genesis 18, and beginning in verse 16. We're going to pick up this story, and then we're going to take a flying view through through a lot of a lot of scripture, and come and land in the New Testament. So, so bear with me here. Genesis eighteen and verse sixteen. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them and to send them on their way. And the Lord said, "Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him." in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very great, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away, from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham st- still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, Abraham says. As such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You see here, Abraham is pleading, pleading for this great and wicked city of Sodom. Lord, it's not like you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. If there are fifty righteous people, will you save the city of Sodom, the whole city, for the sake of those fifty righteous And so the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Immediately the answer comes, Yes, Abraham, I will save all of Sodom for the fifty righteous. But then Abraham begins to think, Oh, the the Lord is is merciful. Maybe I'm underestimating the mercy of the Lord. What if if it was lacking five? And he asks the Lord, What if it was forty-five? Would you save it for 45? And yes. We see here in this verse, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. He goes down to 40, then to 30, then to 20. Each time the Lord promises, if I find 20 people in the city, I will save the whole city for the sake of those 20 people. Finally, he gets to 10. 10 people. I will save all of Sodom. Abraham is pleading, pleading, almost like he's bargaining with the Lord, pleading for the city of Sodom. It's not like you, Lord, to destroy the righteous with the wicked. I told you the title of my message is The Priesthood of Peter. Now, we're not talking about Peter yet, but I want to ask you, What is a priest? Who is a priest and what is the work that they do? 
We find in Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Here Paul is giving us in the book of Hebrews a definition of the work of a priest, a high priest or any priest. Priest taken from among men, someone who understands the things, who is appointed to things pertaining to God, who can intercede with God, and at the same time who understands the weaknesses of man. Think of this picture of Abraham. Well, you. Abraham, a righteous man, pleading with God. Abraham knows God. Abraham could talk with God, pleading with God to spare Sodom. It's not like you, God, to destroy the righteous with the wicked. Is Abraham acting in the sense as a priest or a mediator? for the wicked city of Sodom. Of course, we know the story when the Lord, the angels went into that city. There were not ten righteous people. And Lot, his wife, and his two daughters are dragged out of the city. And sadly, his wife turns back. And yet Abraham pleaded with God for that wicked city. When we think of the priesthood in the Bible, we think first of the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants. We find in the Old Testament scriptures that God established this special group of people within Israel to act in the, in the service of officiating in the tabernacle, in a sense, as it were, to mediate the worship of God for the nation of Israel, there in the tabernacle. We find in Exodus 29, and we don't have time to go and read it all there, we, we find in Exodus 29 how Aaron and his sons were anointed and ordained to serve in this priesthood. How God had chosen them and consecrated them out of all the rest of the, of the tribes and families of Israel, this one family within the tribe of Levi, to serve as priests to God. But you know, I find it interesting. That's Exodus 29. But I find it interesting that in Exodus chapter 19, and turn with me there, if you will, Exodus chapter 19, that before Aaron was specified as the priest, that God makes this very interesting statement, not about Aaron, but about the nation of Israel. Exodus chapter 19 and verses 4 through six. You have seen, this is God speaking, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which you, which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God says, not just you are mine, 
but all of the earth is mine. And you, he says to the children of Israel, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God gave to the nation of Israel the special prerogative of being the priests, as it were, the mediators of his covenant to the rest of the world. God hadn't given the message of his grace to the children of Israel to be hoarded up and kept and kept away from the other nations of of the world, but as it were, to be a, a means to flow through all of the earth, everyone who in every place who would believe on God. And the special tribe of the descendants of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi, God appointed to be priests in Israel. But the promise was not unconditional. Two of Aaron's own sons were killed as a judgment from God for their irreverence in the tabernacle service. We find in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being a priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. So sadly, the nation of Israel, after hundreds and hundreds of years, continually, continually, continually rejecting God, God continued his work, but not through the Levitical priesthood. We find in the time of Christ that when Christ came, the priests and rulers of Israel were the ones responsible for hanging Christ on the cross. Yet we find in Scripture another priesthood. This was the priesthood of Aaron. But we find another priesthood that predates the priesthood of Aaron. If you look up in your Strong's Concordance, the word priest, the very first occurrence of that word you will find in Genesis 14, 18. The story of Melchizedek. When Abraham, the first time he rescued Sodom and Lot, when he brought all of that spoil back, it says that Abraham paid tithes of everything to Melchizedek, who was a priest of God. Paul mentions this same story in Hebrews 5 and quotes the the passage in Psalms 110 and verse 4. Hebrews 5 verse 7, he says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who is Paul talking about? Who is the one who came according to the order of Melchizedek? This line of priesthood that predates the the lineage of Aaron. One who had no father or mother or or, or, or ancestry. One who did not come within the lineage of the descendants of Levi. This was none other than Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Melchizedek, which is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2, We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, 
a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and not man. Remember what did I say a minute ago? What is the definition of a priest? Is it not one who mediates between God and man? Who better can know the character of the loving God except God himself? One who was with God from the beginning in heaven. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who better can know the heart of humanity except one who is born in the likeness of sinful flesh. Friends, we have a high priest. And this is a very short synopsis summary of the book of Hebrews. If you've not read it recently, I encourage you to go home and read it and study it. We have a high priest who is serving in the heavenly sanctuary right now as we speak, interceding with God. One who has been here on this earth, who has lived and walked in our shoes, and who knows the infinite love of God, who can intercede in our behalf. How can you lose with such a high priest? Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15 puts it this way. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Aaron is predated and succeeded by the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. But that brings me to my third point, and that is like my question for you today. What is the priesthood of Peter? Now, you may be thinking about, uh, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stories that come to us through the church. And I don't just mean this church, but I mean the Christian church in general. And, and there is a very large segment of the Christ, Christian belief that looks to Peter as the head of the church. And they take some verses like the exchange between Jesus and Peter where, where Jesus says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And it's, 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 it's a, it's a text that is taken completely out of context and twisted. And I kind of quoted it to you in the twisted context. And then, so they take this idea that God, that Jesus placed Peter in charge as a priest, if it were, of his church to meet out the grace of God to all of those who believe. And so you have this apostolic succession. I'm not telling, I'm, I'm telling, I'm not telling you the Bible. I'm telling you what, what we have heard through the centuries of the Christian tradition. This apostolic succession where Peter was the first pope or the, the uh, priest, the high priest of the Christian church. Peter was the first pope and a, I don't know who the second one was, or the third one, 
Um, but anyway, it goes on down through the apostolic succession to our very day with every pope succeeding the preceding pope and and on them is conferred the authority that was conferred on Peter, the keys to the kingdom of God. And so you have this division. You have the church is made up of two structures, okay? I'm, I'm telling you a false system, and I'm going to tell you the truth later, okay? But this is the false system, and I'm, and in many parts of Christianity, this is the way it, it works. You have two groups or classes within Christianity. You have the clergy and the laity. And the clergy are made up of these priests and bishops and popes and leaders who, upon whom is conferred this great authority to mete out, as it were, the grace of God upon those who perform the sacraments. Okay? And then you have the laity who are, there's a line of demarcation between the clergy and the laity. And the laity are those who are not priests, who are not leaders. They are not qualified to take up the scriptures and interpret them for themselves. They are not qualified to speak to God in person. And, and if they do, they must speak to him through the mediation of saints and Mary and, and these others and through the mediation of the priests. And so week by week, you go to church and in the church is a little booth. And Pardon me, friends. I am not, I'm not trying to make fun of my Catholic brothers and sisters because I have some very good friends who are of this persuasion, very sincere. But the Word of God teaches us some principles, and I think it behooves us to understand those principles. And if it contradicts the practice of churches, no matter how dear they are to our hearts, I think we need to call that out. So in these churches, there's a little booth and there's two sides, right? And the priest will sit on one side behind a curtain and there'll be a little screen. And the, and the church member will go in, in front of that screen. They won't be able to see the priest generally, but they will, they will speak through this screen to, and give a confession. And all of the things, if you stole a little something or you cheated on, or whatever you did, you will tell the priest. And the priest might tell you, Okay, well, for that, you need to do this, you know, go through your rosary beads, or you need to say uh, a Hail Mary or Our Father, and, and, and you do that, and then the priest will give you absolution. Well, for The priest will mete out, as it were, the grace of God. It's not as if the priest himself can forgive your sins, but they, they believe in the grace of Christ, but they believe that it is meted out by the priest, by the church. The church is the mediary of the grace of God. That is, that is the system that, of how, how that, this, the system of works and the system of the apostolic succession and the priestly work in, in this, in this church. Along comes a man. I'm, I'm fast forwarding stories quite a few centuries. Okay. We'll back up here. How many of you know what holiday we celebrated this past week? Don't anyone say Halloween. I don't believe in that. <laughs> no. Reformation Day, October 31, 2017, marked the 500-year anniversary of the day that a man by the name of Martin Luther nailed 
95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Among those 95 theses and among the core tenets of the Reformation was a concept that struck at the heart of the system of Roman worship. At this separation between the clergy and the laity. And at this idea that the priest holds within his power to mete out the grace of God to the confessor. That the priests and prelates hold the power to interpret scripture and to prevent the laity from reading and understanding scripture for themselves. So I say all of that to tell you what the priesthood of Peter is not. The priesthood of Peter is not the apostolic succession. But what did Peter himself say about the priesthood? Turn with me to one of the few books that Peter actually wrote in the New Testament, the first epistle of Peter and chapter 2. If you want to know about the priesthood of Peter, where better to go than to the words of Peter himself? First Peter, chapter 2, and I'll read verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You. Now, who is Peter talking to? Do you suppose he is talking to his successor, the next pope in the apostolic succession? You. Is he talking to one person? Go to Peter 1, verse 1. Second, first Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Who does that sound like to you? Does that sound like all the church? The whole world? Everyone who is following Jesus? You, you are built up a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And in verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter, the priesthood of Peter is not a priesthood of succession, but a priesthood of all believers. Peter, the one who, after Christ said those words about building his church on the rock, Peter, the one who denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter was far from perfect. 
But after those, that shameful denial of his Lord, Peter looked into the eyes of Christ. He watched Christ dying on the cross and he realized that it was for him. And after Christ rose from the grave, he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Three times. Three times he affirmed his love for the Lord. And Peter here in his epistle affirms that you and I, no less than he did when Christ walked on this earth, you and I have a direct access to the throne of God. We don't have to pray to Mary. We don't have to pray to the saints. We don't have to confess to a priest. We can go directly to the throne of God. And on the merits of Jesus Christ, we can claim his grace and claim his promises for ourselves. Not by our own works, but by his own blood. We can take these scriptures, the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament, not in our own wisdom and intelligence, but by the influence of the grace of the Holy Spirit. We can read them for ourselves and we can understand them for ourselves. Not interpreted by a church, not interpreted by a pastor, but for ourselves, day by day. And friends, if there is any other principle of the Reformation besides sola fide, by faith alone, sola gratia, by grace alone, sola scriptura, by scriptures alone, it is this principle right here, the priesthood of all believers. Because if it is not for the priesthood of all believers, that you and I have the same access to Jesus Christ that Peter and Paul and all of the apostles had, then all of the rest of the Reformation is for naught. The priesthood of Peter is found, for one, in the privilege of prayer. Peter says, you as living stones built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What kind of sacrifices can we offer to God? We find in Psalm 51 and verse 17 that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. The priesthood of Peter is found in the power of a personal testimony. Not someone else's experience. Not someone else's relationship to God. But my own personal testimony. Read verse 9 again. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Notice that last verse. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. My friends, has Jesus called you personally out of darkness, out of the darkness of sin, and transformed your life into his marvelous light? And last but not least, the priesthood of Peter is found in the power of intercessory prayer. 
We find in the next chapter, 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Paul writes in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And James writes in James fifteen, James 5, 15 and 16, The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now get this one. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Friends, the priesthood of all believers extends farther than just our relationship between ourselves and God. Because a priest, by definition, is a mediator. And now, don't get me wrong, friends, you and I are not mediators like Christ. We are not the priest there in the confessional to hear the confessions of our brothers and sisters. But friends, do we not have a responsibility to intercede in prayer for our brothers and our sisters? Do you know someone in your life that is not praying to God on a daily basis? Perhaps someone who doesn't know God. Perhaps someone who is running from God. Has God called you, perhaps, to be, as it were, a priest? To intercede in prayer, day by day, for that person who will not pray for themselves. To ask God by His Holy Spirit to not give them any peace until that person makes a decision for Him. I want to share with you, friends, for years, for most of my life, day by day, I have interceded in prayer, as has my mother, my father, my brothers, for many of my family members who are not in a relationship with Christ, who are running from Him. And for years, it seemed as though our prayers had gone unanswered. And just this past year, since my dad's passing, we have been able to develop a deeper relationship with several of those family members. And two days ago, by a miracle from God, I don't know how it all happened, I wasn't supposed to be able to say a word at my grandfather's funeral, but I was able to get up not only to have the closing prayer, but to share just very briefly what my grandfather's life meant to me. My grandfather was a Seventh-day Adventist minister. None of his children or grandchildren went into the ministry except me as a lay pastor. And I shared with my family how Grandpa's words to me when I told him years ago that I had thought of going into ministry had shaped my life and how every time I drive to church and every time I drive over the mountains to Monticello, over the hills and hollers of Kentucky, how I would think of Grandpa every Sabbath driving from church 
to church over the desert hills of California. And I have no idea what impact that may have made on my relatives, but I know that most of them don't go to church. But many of them thanked me afterwards for the words that I shared. And it was hard. He was my grandpa. But I pray that the words that I shared and the words that the Adventist minister shared during the funeral will have an impact on them. Friends, you don't know. You don't know, but that you may be the one, like Abraham was, for the city of Sodom, interceding to save their life until they can turn back to God. And that is where I want to close in this message, in the ministry of preservation. The priesthood of Peter is about the privilege of prayer, the privilege of that direct access to God, the power of our personal testimony, the power of intercessory prayer, and last but not least, the ministry of preservation. Those of us who are living on this earth in the last days, in many ways are like faithful Lot living in the midst of Sodom. God said he would spare the city of Sodom for the sake of ten people. And we find in Revelation 7 that God's angels are holding back the winds of strife, holding back until his servants are sealed in their foreheads. How much longer will he hold? Is he saving your community and your neighborhood just because you're there? Friends, I want to invite you to participate in the ministry of the priesthood of Peter. Do you have your eye fixed on Christ, our great high priest, who day and night stands before the throne of God, interceding on our behalf? Are you being formed into a holy priesthood, daily reflecting his grace to a world in need? Loving Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Jesus as our great high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And Lord, we thank you for the high calling that you have given to each one of us to be priests of God and of Christ, a royal priesthood. Lord, may we not hide our light under the bushel, but may we avail ourselves each and every day of the privilege of coming directly before your throne with our prayers and our petitions. And may we be a sweet influence to a world in need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.